Yo, G-Man from the G-Show. Let's talk about life and what we know. You want to have a seat with the top dog? Be ready to get down with the real talk. All jokes aside, welcome to the G-Man Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the G-Man Show again. Today, I have a very, very special guest, like I'll always have. Somebody who is really outspoken. Somebody who I follow all the time. Somebody who made a lot of noise in the last six months. Please welcome to the studio, Miss Melissa Lansman. She's the MP for Thornhill, and she is here at the GEMA show. Thanks for having me. Listen, I know that you grew up in Thornhill. I did. Where? I grew up just around the corner from where we're sitting. I grew up uh, near Brownridge Public School. Uh, parents moved around, never left Thornhill. My father still uh still living in a condo uh in a condo here and uh i had the like i won the birth lottery this is the greatest community to 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 live in i went to the best schools i had the best upbringing uh and i'm really really thankful that my parents chose canada which school well we also hope so <laughs> i went uh, i went to french school my parents had some foresight and they said you know you live here you live in canada you're going to learn french and no matter how much i didn't want to learn french i thought it was the the best decision they went they made so i went to i went to Frechette, and then i went to a school called langstaff which is right outside of uh, thornhill we didn't have a french uh, high school so i continued right on and uh, I'm still learning every day. You, you're fluent in French. Yeah? I am okay. fluent in French. I'm, uh, I speak Russian. Uh, How good is your Russian? My Russian. You know what? I understand <laughs> everything, and I answer in English. Typical, <laughs> typical Canadian kid that was born here, gets spoken at, answer in English. Can you write or read? I can read and write, but that's only because I learned in university. Good for you. Yeah. A smart one. Listen, everybody has a favorite spot in Thornhill, like restaurants, like bars. What's your favorite spot? My favorite spot is look. I um I grew up uh, I grew up here. Uh, I um I grew up eating you know sort of the pickle barrel and <laughs> Center Street Deli and uh, and Golden Star. But you know what my favorite spot is and and it's not because um, it's amazing. But I love Cynthia's and I loved it because my grandmother loved it <laughs> and I love taking her there and I have great memories there and uh, yeah no I you know what we've got. We've got a ton in this community um, of uh, of good spots where you just see everybody you know and everybody knows your name and well, it's a cool I, spot. I'm sure everybody knows your name now. How is that dealing with that with that super superstar? Well, it's, it, look, it's been a it's been a really productive first um, six months, but it's also been a very frustrating um, six months because I don't think the country's going in, in the right direction. And I think we have a government in Ottawa propped up by an NDP who's uh, letting it do whatever it wants to. And uh, the real, reasonable, rational, conservative voices are just being drowned out. Yeah, I agree. But we'll get, we'll get to All that. All right, we'll get there. Uh, quick question. You're openly gay. I am. You're married. I am. How is the growing up gay in our community? I mean, our people are, you know how they, they are. They're, they're so, very old school. And, and um, did you have a hard time growing up? I was most nervous about this with, uh, with my grandmother. Just com from coming from a different generation and, uh, and maybe not having an understanding. Um, and I got pure love and affection back from, uh, from my own family, from, uh, from my own community. And I know there was probably some trepidation in parts of our community um, about, uh, you know, about my quote-unquote uh, lifestyle. But uh, look, I think the more conservatives, the more, the more people get married, the more conservatives we have. 
<laughs> How was your father's reaction? <laughs> my, my father, my father absolutely loves and supports everything um, I do, and uh, he loves all of his daughters in, in law. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, from what I'm understanding, before the politics, before this, you worked for Coca-Cola. I did. I, I had a number of uh, I That's had a number funny. of jobs. I worked. Um, I, you know, I, I worked in the private uh, in the private sector, in mostly in PR, in communications, in crisis communications, in government relations. So I had a, uh, I had a, I had a great career uh, before politics. I'm going to have a great career in politics, and I have no idea what I'm going to do uh, after politics if it uh, if it ends. But I'm, I got the good training. I've had really, really good uh, uh, mentors. You know, Coca-Cola was one spot. I've worked for one of our largest banks. I've had clients right across uh, right across. All all sectors in uh, in the PR world. So I've learned I, I've learned a lot, and I've got a lot to learn. Oh, I mean, <laughs> uh, and then you worked for Stephen Harper, one I of the did. greatest prime ministers of this country. In my view, the greatest prime minister. I the had greatest. I had an amazing run in Ottawa. I went there as a young staffer. Um, you know, my, it's not the typical career for uh, for a Russian Jewish kid growing up in uh, Thornhill. Is I, you know, I'm, I'm not smart enough to be a doctor. And I said, I want to do politics. <laughs> Why do you want to do politics? Politics is a hobby. It's get a real job. And I went to do an internship and I ended up staying 10 years in the Harper government. And I worked at foreign affairs and I worked at finance and I worked for one of the best prime ministers we've ever had in this country. The one that chose principle over popularity every single time. Absolutely. Uh, were you devastated when he lost? Politics is a uh, is is a is a game that you know it's a fluctuating system. People got, you know, people people needed something new. They needed a vision, and I think that uh, you know six years of the vision that they that they wanted and they asked for really didn't come to fruition. Actually, we're seven years now, so I think it's time for a change in this country. So I'm excited to be part of that next generation and uh, the change that I hope we see soon in this country. I hope so. It's honestly, it's, it's, it's been devastating and just a disaster. You know what? Uh, especially the last two and a half years is just bad for everything. But we'll get to that. It's been frustrating. <laughs> That's for sure. You also worked for Doug Ford. I did. You ran a campaign for him, right? I did. I ran what's called a, a war room, so it's the uh, the war room. The war room. What's that? It's the center of the campaign. It's the it's everything that comes out of the campaign and what the campaign reacts to on a on a daily basis. So, I uh, I ran another leadership's candidate's uh, um, sort of communications shop before then, and uh, I was lucky enough to be asked by uh, by the now premier to uh, to run the war room. I never went to go work in uh, government. Went back to the private sector after that um but uh yeah it's uh i've always worked campaigns i've always been if i wasn't in politics directly i was right on the side of it and and always a participant because i care i care about uh, where the country's going where the province is going where our municipality is going why thornhill it's where i'm from i don't know anything else <laughs> this is where you know this is where i grew up this is uh this is where i got my first job this is you know this is where i broke my arm skateboarding or riding a bike uh this is my community and uh i know it really well and uh i was raised by the people in thornhill it takes a takes a village to raise kids <laughs> uh you've heard that before but it awesome. really does particularly with parents who came to uh to this country we didn't we didn't have a lot but we had a loving home and i had every opportunity because the people in this community helped bring me up 
Do you choose where you want to be, or you're being set up uh, basically by like? No, we had thing? a tough. Uh, we had a tough run at a at a nomination. So this is a, a seat that was ha- held by the great Peter Kent for uh, for 12 years, and when he decided to retire, there was a little bit of a competition for uh, who would be the next candidate. So there was an election before the election, and then there was the election, and now we're sitting here. Uh, I can't imagine the feeling that you probably got when you won. How, how excited were you? I was uh, I was pretty excited. You know what? I, I will say this. Um, I lost my mom uh, in the year before well, the uh, the election, and the only thing that I would have changed is to have her uh, have her there and witness it because she always knew that I would do this. She just couldn't couldn't wait along uh, wait wait that long. So uh, I wanted her uh, I wanted her to to see it, and I know she's watching. But it would have been it would have been different if she was here. So that's the only thing I would change. Look, she she would have been very very proud of you. Yeah, very, and we are very proud of you because you're the first one in our community, I guess, right? Yeah, it's and right. and it, it's amazing what you're doing. Uh, I remember Peter Kent. Uh, being on the news, I think he was working for, because I'm here for 30 years, almost 30 years, and I remember him, I think he worked. For sure. He's a very interesting guy. So when I was a kid, the one thing I remember is this is the six o'clock news, and I'm (laughs) Peter Kent. So when Peter comes to the door, they're like, oh, we know you. You've been on the news for for 30 years. And then he had a brilliant career in in the Harper government. He was a minister. He'd always represented this, uh, this community well. And he's like, he's a true mensch. Do you, does does he come and uh, visit like, you sometimes? Uh, absolutely, and I get all kinds of <laughs> advice, um, and uh, and and oftentimes very very good advice. I guess I guess in that age, there's not really much to do, and uh, I guess you know what <laughs> he has visit. had he had his, has more experience in his pinky finger um, than I'm going to have for for the next uh, few years. So his advice is good advice, and he's been uh, he's been around the world. He's been in the middle of uh, of war zones, and he's been in the middle of really important decisions for our country and in, uh, in government. And he's a good guy to have on your side. Do you keep contact with? Uh, are you in good relationship with Doc Ford? I don't keep uh, I don't keep uh, close contact with uh, um, with Ford. I've worked with a lot of politicians over the years, and I think some of them I have uh, a lot of contact with. I'm you know I was lucky enough to have Prime Minister Harper help me out in my campaign, and uh, a lot of the ministers in that uh, former government. My experience really is in the in the federal realm. Um, but I do, uh, you know what? I'm a, I'm a conservative through and through, and I hope that the conservatives continue to govern in uh, in this province, in this country, and uh, for the future of Canada. Where do you think Doug Ford went wrong in this pandemic? Look, I think it's really, really difficult to make decisions on a pandemic, and we don't we don't know anything. Uh, and then two years later, I think the problem is, and this is throughout all politics, and it's not just Doug Ford, and it's, you know, it's every premier, it's, uh, it's, it's the federal government, is we don't have a way out of this. And it's incredibly frustrating for people over two years who did everything right, who followed all of the rules, and still are being punished with restrictions and mandates and things that are actually not solving our COVID problem. Like we had public health officials make every single decision without, uh, you know, without any guidance from the business community, without any guidance from mental health professionals, without any guidance for those who have studied things like addiction. We, uh, we are one track mind and we need to get out of this. Yeah, but I, 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 
See, when, when it comes to Doc Ford, because I voted for him, and I really, really liked I liked his brother, despite of what was happening around him in his personal life, but he was a good mayor. Uh, I voted for Doc because I liked his, his basics, you know. But throughout the pandemic, he had a choice to do the right thing for the people. Look, he destroyed a lot of, and his his medical uh, team destroyed not only uh, people with mental disabilities he destroyed a lot of businesses he put a lot of people into bankruptcies debt things that you can't recover and and as soon as the convoy comes out all of a sudden mondays go Look. out you know, I'm not. I, I don't think I'm here to uh, to pass judgment on uh, on individual politicians and their decisions. I know I certainly know where I would stand and what I would have done. And I think that despite the convoy going being gone and the trucks are gone, the anger is still there, and we have a very very divided electorate. We have a very divided country um, of those who call each other names when they don't agree. That's not who we are. That's not how we solve problems. Um, and you're right. There's a lot of businesses. Uh, there's a lot of small businesses, medium-sized businesses, people who have thrown their entire life savings into taking a chance and being entrepreneurs um, who were shut out and are out of luck and are out of money. Uh, and the problem is, is we still don't have a plan or the certainty around a plan to actually get out of this. Our, our restaurants are still empty. Our, uh, you know, our bar scene is still empty. And I hope that when summer comes, it brings a renewal like it did last summer. But we absolutely cannot go back to what we have been doing. But uh, lately on the news, uh, they're saying that they might come back with some mandates again. Look, I'm, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this um, to you. I'm 100% in favor of people being vaccinated. But I am also a child of immigrants who came to this uh, country to be able to make their own decisions and live their own lives and work hard and get ahead. And we've lost a lot of that. Uh, and so any suggestion of any mandates or restrictions, we know that they don't work. We know that things like the passport didn't work. So we, we need uh, reasonable voices, uh, a lot more of those voices, to be having a conversation about how do we see an end to this? And that's exactly what I'm doing. You said you would have done things differently. What would you have done? Well, in, in, in every, I think in every situation it would have been different. I think at the very beginning we didn't know a lot about this pandemic and I think what we did was right. Um, and I think until, you know, until there was a large number of people vaccinated uh, that, uh, that we couldn't have moved on. But beyond that point, when people did everything you asked them to do, when they followed the rules, when they stayed away from each other, when they washed their hands, when they wore a mask, at some point this needs to end. Um, and I think I would have, you know, I would have started calling for an end to this long ago and at least put forward a plan, which by the way, we still do not have federally. We still have mandates. We still have federal restrictions. And we have a government that is unwilling to even put on the table a plan of how this ends. Why? Like, I, I don't understand the logic behind it. Why? Well, every day that we have something <laughs> called question period, and that's probably the videos that you've been seeing. But I will tell you this. It's not answer period. There's no answers in that, like, uh, like, in, that, in that one hour. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a way of growing 
the face of government, so growing growing the intrusion of government in your lives. Remember, when when government gets bigger, it's very, very difficult to make smaller. And when you starve out all of the organizations like synagogues and churches and community groups, and you starve their donation channels and you starve their ability to bring people together, government fills that hole. And that's the big problem because I wasn't raised by government. I was raised by my community. I was raised by my synagogue. I was raised by uh, uh, by charities. I was raised by the groups that I was involved in. I was raised by our Jewish community, and that's all strong when government doesn't do it for you. And I think that's what's being done. Convoy. Convoy. How do we how do we get to that point? How did we get to a point where? Regular people just went out on the street and said, done. Anger and frustration and people not listening and people losing their jobs and people not being able to get ahead uh, and people watching their businesses just being shattered um, by what are nonsense restrictions at this point. And that's anger and that's people, you know, that's, that's people doing what they do when they're angry. They want government to listen. And instead, we had a government that decided that those people were different. They were white supremacists. They were racists. They were terrorists. They were Nazis. Look, I was on the side of that. You know, how do you have, how do you have a government that says to a, to a, a Jewish granddaughter of Holocaust survivors that she stands with Nazis? It's disgusting. And it's shameful. You know, when I watched that video, for I, I watched it maybe like five times. First of all, I couldn't believe that this is, this is the leader of our country who's Correct. saying this. Second of all, when when you started talking, I felt that emotion. You know, I felt that that I would have probably blown up on the guy if he would have like. It doesn't click in my mind. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. Like. How do you say this in the parliament where you're supposed to represent our country in a, even in the liberal way, whatever his way is? But how do you say that? And, and, and it's, your, your, your response were fantastic. It's anger and it's frustration and it's being felt, uh, it's being felt by, uh, by everyone. And we've got to remember that uh, at the end of the day, again, the convoy's gone, the trucks are gone. And the anger is still there. You should see the emails and sort of what comes through the social media. People are worried. They're worried that they, you know, the Canada that they came to, Canada that my parents chose, is not going to, it's not going to be the Canada that they wanted. Uh, and that's that's exactly why I'm doing this. Picked a picked a interesting time to get involved. Uh, a lot a lot of pressure tell me what's going on with NDP how, how do they end up being hand in hand with uh, with the liberals I mean aren't they supposed to be like separate group with, with their own views like- yeah I think uh, you know I think you've pointed you've hit the nail on the head it's very frustrating in uh, uh, in Ottawa because the the liberals have a dance partner and uh, they might as well make uh, mr. Singh mr. Jagmeet Singh the deputy prime minister because he supports everything the liberals do uh, and you know I think people are watching and next time around uh, I don't think they're. I think they're going to suffer with who's going to vote for them. I don't know why you would. Why would you vote NDP when you can just uh, vote Liberal? And that's. I think that's a that's a problem for this country when we have uh, less and less voices, uh, and when that voice is just the prime minister's voice or just the deputy prime minister's voice. I think we lack. 
we, we, we lack sort of a proper government policy uh, or, uh, or just, frankly, any conversation about freedoms and our ability to make our own choices when you've got the NDP propping up the Liberals uh, against any Conservatives. And, I, I, you know, the Bloc has supported us on some of these uh, measures, but we still don't have enough votes. So I don't want to make this a civics lesson, but uh, it's, the situation's not good. I, I can certainly see, but, you know, at one point I felt like, like the Conservative Party was just, just disappeared. You know, and then until you guys come in and kind of like, wow, finally somebody's speaking. Finally, somebody can a- answer the questions and ask questions. And I was very, very impressed. And and I I like the way it goes. Listen, we're Canadians. We're allowed to vote for whoever we want to. If you're liberal, God bless you. You can vote for whatever you want to. Nobody's perfect, con- Alex. No, nobody's perfect. I mean, you can do whatever you want to. But there has to be certain common sense in terms of like. I mean, when, when, when this government is not doing anything for the people who chose them, yeah. instead of just giving them money, we're obviously going to the wrong direction. Well, the government's going to have to face the electorate again. It's going to have to answer for some of our decisions. And I think for the Conservative Party, we're at a very interesting point in the trajectory. We're, we're in the midst of a, of a new leadership uh, contest. So we've got candidates now putting together their teams. One is out and out in front. Uh, you know, it's the one that I happen to, uh, to support. Uh, and I think that it'll be a good conversation about what the future of the Conservative Party looks like and what the future of Canada looks like. I mean, Mr. Portia is great. I mean, he, the way he talks is like, he, he was like, okay, everybody, please shut up. I want to listen to what this guy says. He's really, really good. I think he'd be a, a good candidate for, uh, leader of a country and probably getting us back to uh, to normal well maybe we get him on the show before oh I would love to have him <laughs> on the show this is going to be one of those I'll just I'll just say hi I'm Alex and I'll just listen for to him for like two and a half hours you know what he's got uh, he's got a good message and he's got a good message in this uh, in this in this sort of time uh, that we're in and that's a message of freedom you just want your life back uh, you want you want to be able to afford a house like Alex, we live in a community where a house today is somewhere between 1.3 and 1.7 million dollars. How are you going to move out of your parents' basement if you're in your in your late 20s, even if you have a good job? How are you going to make you know the decisions that you want to make about what school what what schools to send your kids to, uh, and how to raise them? How are you going to afford all of that? Those are the real issues that we got to solve. We got gas prices at almost you know we're 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 nearing the hun- the the dollar eighty mark, uh, and we'll be at two dollars, two dollars a liter for gas. Like and, you know I'm not going to advocate that everybody gets uh, that everybody all of a sudden jumps into a, uh, an electric, but we got to build some pipelines. We got to we've got to use our strategic resources uh, in a way that makes sense. We got to get less dependent on the other side, and we got to make sure that we can sell our gas where people are are using it as uh, hostile diplomacy on the other side of the world. You know, I filled up my car yesterday, two hundred twenty dollars. Oh man, what kind of car do you drive? <laughs> a truck. A truck. Two hundred and twenty dollars. That's wild. It's insane. So look for the average, you know, for the average family that needs to do their groceries and uh, and needs to take the kids to uh, to hockey and is already, you know, living with a huge mortgage and uh, and car loans and, you know, they work harder, they do better, they have good jobs, but they just can't get out of this crippling debt uh, and they can't get ahead and they can't move into something nicer and have a little bit more free time with their families. That's what we want in Canada. That's how I grew up. But you know, somehow they're surviving. Somehow, I guess. Look, a lot of a lot of young p- 
people made a lot of money on real estate. So a lot of them living off that. But once that gone, if that if it crumbles now with the, with, the, with the situation the the country's going to, I mean it's it's we're in a justflation. Yeah, just inflation. <laughs> that's for sure. But we're in a we're in a situation where this country prints more and more money. You you can't money doesn't grow on trees. You heard that. You can't just print money when we don't have any, and we can't uh, we we sort of we can't pump up the economy uh, artificially so it makes us feel good uh, for for a number of months as we as we emerge from uh, from a pandemic. We got to go back to the fundamentals. What do you think happened to our media? Our media is just out of control. It's like you, you it's like you just one side of the movie and that is it. Oh. Especially what happened with the convoy, like. And we've got to find other ways to uh, to reach people, uh, right? We we've, we've got to do more of this. We've got to use more of uh, more of the channels that go direct to to voters. Uh, you know, if you can't get your message across in a fair way. You go around it, you go over it, um, and you talk directly to people. The best part of, of this gig and the best part of, of everything that I do is the time that I spend here in the community because it has nothing to do with what is going on in the media. The, the, the questions, the answers, the, the, the frustrations, the, the everything that I get from ordinary people at the grocery store next door to here is entirely different than the media narrative. So there is some hope. There's there's shows like yours, uh, you know. There's there's shows like like the ones that we're uh, we're putting on, and there's uh, there's direct contact with uh, with voters, the electorate, our constituents, and uh, and real people wanting to seek answers. The the world's the the internet's a big place, and I think people are getting more savvy about how to get their information. It's very very fortunate because I grew up watching CP24. I mean, I I, I loved all the movies that started now. You know, <laughs> you have you have these great anchors, and it was always very like pro people, very positive. Now it's like just watching one side movie, and and it's like I stop just stop watching it. I so you got to do this. I well, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. But now it's very unfair that I have to get uh, information from these unsafe sites. Yeah. Because this is just regular people who, without any journalistic knowledge, just put out some news, and you basically that's all you have. Because I mean, how else are you gonna kind of like balance the information? You know. Yeah, and it's hard, and people are busy, and. Uh and frankly, they need, uh, you know, they, they don't have time to sort of go through sources and decipher, uh, you know, decipher which information. But we got to be very careful about who we want censoring our, uh, our media. It can't be a bunch of bureaucrats at a new department in, uh, in Ottawa saying you can't see this and you can see this. That's bad news, too. Uh, so, you know, it's up to some of the, the, the tech companies to do it a little better. It's about, uh, we saw we saw on uh, on Twitter, the deputy prime minister tweet something, and it was, you know, it was it was tagged misinformation. So, you know, those who have the time and those who are informed and uh, and those who can uh, who can clean up our content uh, should. We should empower citizens to uh, to do that. But uh, passing laws that would allow some some information SAR in uh, in Ottawa to do it. Not the right direction. Absolutely, it feels like communism. Uh, even like with the things like the Emergency Act and and, and yeah, the GoFundMe. I mean, I'm not. Gonna, I'm never going to use GoFundMe, and not only because of what, what happened with the convoy. It's just, it's just unfair. You know, I mean that it, you have to stop. Uh, 
to use it for any kind of emergency then. Uh, look, I... Like, I mean, this is so... Like, this is designed for people who want to donate for their cause, you know, for, for their view. I mean, why... Yeah, look, and there's got to be, uh, there's gotta be a, a trust factor that has to exist between citizens and their government. And I think that that trust was broken uh, with the Emergencies Act. You know, on the, on the basis of it, on the legal basis of, uh, of the Emergencies Act, it didn't meet the test of an emergency. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and I think that that, uh, you know, uh, uh, blockades, bad news. They're illegal. You can't block bridges. You're, you're hurting our farmers. You're hurting our grocery stores. Your blockades are illegal. But the protests, you know, those were clear before the Emergencies Act. This was a political tool to continue to other people people that didn't agree with the liberals or people that didn't agree with the prime minister. So what do you do? You, you sweep it up under an emergencies act, uh, which should not, uh, should not have been used. And if it is ever used in this country, it ought to be a real emergency. Absolutely. I mean, they put, they gave us such a bad name to our police officers who are doing a really, really good job in general. It took so many years for for regular people to be okay and 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 open with the police and being on their side and 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 donating, to, sure. you know. And now we're just like putting them on the spot for doing their dirty job to just destroy the name. I mean, it's I don't like what I'm seeing. Because I know certain police officers, and they're really good people. And probably some of them didn't want to be there, but it's their job. Yeah. But the guy goes and puts them on the spot where now nobody trusts them, nobody likes them, and these guys who work night then day to protect us are being screamed at and and, and, and for sure as you as, as you know i've i voted against the emergencies act i will vote against it every single uh time if it uh if it came up uh again because i don't i don't believe that it was an emergency and i and i had the opportunity to speak on it but uh now we've got to we've got to hold the government to account to show us every single document that led to that decision because we we can't take back what i think was an insane decision but we can make sure that in the future it never happens again. And I think that's one of my jobs in Ottawa. Do you think you guys are going to hold Justin Trudeau accountable legally or criminally? Well, we, have, we have the opportunity in, in the act. Um, we've, got a, we've got a committee now. Um, I think the Liberals are playing games with, uh, uh, with that committee, that, that there will be a parliamentary committee and there will be an inquiry. Um, and I think, you know, one of our jobs is to make sure uh, again, that every single thing, everything that led to that decision, everything that happened during that decision is available um, uh, to, uh, to the public so that they can see that their test for using the Emergencies Act was not met. Well, you know, so far they got away with everything. Yeah. I mean, I mean. Give me another six it, months. It, it, it feels like do whatever you want. It feels like a Russian president who's doing whatever the hell he wants and nothing can be done to him. But that's what it looks to me as a, as a person who was born in the former USSR, and the, the way I look at things happening right now in Russia, it's, there's no difference. It's just this one is, doesn't really kill people. He just sends the cops. Look, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to make comparisons to what is, a, what is an awful situation uh, and one that we should care about not not just you know i happen to my parents happen to be from odessa not just because for the ukrainians and not just for the ukrainian people and not just from those 
from, you know, who live here, who are many, many, many of them with uh, Ukrainian ancestry. But it's for democracy and it's for the West. And, and we should care. And we should care on how Canada sort of fares out in, uh, in all of this. And we should care um, that we could be a solution, maybe not in the, in, not in the way that, that you think. Maybe it's not in the way of boots in the ground or airplanes in the air, uh, because we don't have that equipment. We've been starving our military for years. Um, but we do have oil and gas here. And we know that Russia supplies 40% of Europe's gas. Now, we could, we have enough here to make sure that the Russians aren't holding anybody hostage with their energy. We've got to protect our Arctic. We share a border with these guys. You know, people don't realize how close oh. these guys are. Yeah. Um, and so we've, we've got to invest in NORAD. We've got to, in, in, uh, we've got to join ballistic missile defense. This is a time to think about the future of Canada, uh, our strategic future, and the future of Western democracies in the face of tyranny, because it starts at Russia. And you don't think somebody like China is watching this? Absolutely. For, right? them, for them, they're just watching and seeing how it's gonna, all going to turn. The situation in, in, in Ukraine is a disaster. It's, 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 it's a disaster for me because this week was very, very emotional. See, I'm sorry to talk about it right away. I'm gonna, it's very, very hard. And I'm Russian. It's, it's extremely hard to see that. And I think that uh, the people who are in that position right now in Ukraine, who are fleeing, who are scared, the kids, and, and who are in, in, in bomb shelters and it's so painful. It's I awful. went to the, the I went uh, with the Ukrainian when they had uh, downtown the walkout to support the Ukrainian. I went there. It's it was it was painful, you know. And and I said I made a post um, about it. I said to my Russian friends, pretty much to everybody, I said you don't have to be Ukrainian to feel the pain. You have to be a human being to For understand sure. what's right and what's wrong, and what's happening there is absolutely wrong. And uh, what is Canada doing? Well, I think uh, I, I actually, on this point, I agree with what the government has done on this because, you know, like the, the government's on the right side of this one um, and it's on the right side of freedom and democracy and the rule of law. What I do think, though, is that government should do more. And we've been consistently calling that. And if you look at uh, some of my social pages, I've got the opportunity a few times to speak in the House at length. Uh, about it. And I think it's about what Canada does um, to help the effort. I think there's a partnership, the, the NATO partnership in, uh, uh, in, in, in what's going on. And I think they've come around, although it took a, a little while. I think they, they should have been six months ago where, where they were on, on day seven of, uh, uh, of this brutal war. Um, but Canada can do more. And it should do more. And we should have sent, you know, we should have sent lethal weapons. Uh, we called on, we called for that weeks ago. Um, we had a strong uh, relationship, or we've always had a strong relationship with Ukraine, uh, and that was from Prime Minister Harper. And I don't know if you remember, but when he was at the G7, and I think it was in 14, um, before when when Putin originally went into uh, into Crimea, he said, you know, get out of get out of Ukraine, and the the mainstream media like tore him apart for that yeah. right you're being you know you're you're being bombastic you you're being a bully in uh, in the western alliance he was right he was right and we should have heeded that uh, that advice a little bit more look melissa we were just <clears throat> threatened with a, with a nuclear weapon 
by the Russians. How ready are we for anything like this? I mean, with the way they handle COVID, I'm afraid to even think how ready we are in Canada if a disaster like this happens. Yeah, we're 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 not. Uh, <laughs> we're not. We're not ready. Um, that's the that's the honest reality, and we can say that uh, that we're ready. But I I think you need to look at just even the last twenty years, and it's you know it's not. It's not as if when the Conservatives were in power that we, we, we fixed the military, but we did take our Arctic sovereignty very quick, uh, very seriously. Um, but there is no, there's no infrastructure up in the Arctic. There, we're not part of ballistic missile defense. We have outdated NORAD systems. We don't have fighter jets that are able to fly if, if, if NATO decided tomorrow that they would, uh, you know, that they would take the next step. We, we, we need to buy F-35s. This country never did. Um, so we're not, you know, we're not ready. There's a, there was a sailboat uh, that, that went through the Northwest Passage, and the government, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't start. It was a sailboat. You think we're ready? Um, but that's, that's the things that we need to think about. We can build gas pipelines out to the East Coast and supply all of European democracies with Canadian oil and gas. That helps us, that helps them, that helps the world. And security is so intrinsically tied to energy today, and we've just missed the boat on it. How serious do you think the sanctions are to Russia? I think the sanctions could... Look, I think the... I think the sanctions to start were a good step. Again, I agree with uh, with with the government sort of moving. I think we could have moved faster. I think they could be uh, more broad. Um, and I, you know, sanctions are a difficult topic because, you know, like you said, this isn't about the 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 Russian people. This isn't about starving out the people in in Russia. There has been so much bravery in Russia. You saw in Saint Petersburg. You yeah. saw in Moscow's Red Square, people coming out to protest against an authoritarian regime. You saw it in the streets of every other uh, country in, uh, in Europe. The, the world is on the side of, uh, of Ukraine, and there's so many brave Russians here in our community. Uh, you know, Russian speakers like me who happen to be, you know, Ukrainian, whose parents left before it was officially Ukraine. Um, these are these are the these are the, the the brave people that we have to think about. Um, so, the sanctions have to be targeted, and they have to you know they have to hurt Putin and his posse's personal wealth because, you know, just starving the people of of Russia not the right move. Do you think it's it's wise to remove uh, Russian products f the way they did from Canada? Was it, uh, I think it's a look. I think it's a uh, it's a step that gets people thinking about what's going on on the other side of the world. Maybe when it doesn't affect their lives, but we've bought all these products. You know, people pouring out vodka that they already bought. Like you're not doing anything, <laughs> right? You're 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 making an internet uh, movie. You've already paid for it. Somebody already somebody already sort of yeah. got rich from it. So it's uh it's interesting that the whole world um, now is paying attention to something. Um, that's happening on the other side of the world. But we've got to make sure that our sanctions, again, are targeted and they hit Putin and they hit his friends and they hit their personal wealth because I think that's when we'll see um, sort of some movement. This is Putin's war, not the war yeah, of the Russian absolutely. people. I absolutely agree. Look, there's a lot of Russian people that I know and I speak to and they're, they're initially they were oblivious like, yeah. because they don't get no information from them. For them, this is interesting, they think that Ukraine started a war with Russia in Ukraine. 
Yeah, look, this is one of the things we've, we've called on it. Uh, the government should immediately direct the CRTC to get RT right off the airwaves. Like, this is where it's coming from, right? This is, this is the misinformation. But there are lots of Russians in this community that know exactly what's happening right now. And they are not, they're ashamed of it. Um, and we need more of that, that bravery to say, this isn't right. You know, putting, putting women and children and, uh, and, and the elderly into a war zone, not of their own uh, making, an egregious act against uh, international law. Like, you saw the images where they wrote the kids' blood types on their, oh, on their shirts. You well, know, can you imagine sending your kids to school here, writing their blood types on their, on their shirts just in case something happened? You saw the bombs on or orphanages. Uh, you saw, you know, the, the, the babushkas not knowing what to do with themselves. Some took up guns. Some cooked a little bit more. And, uh, and nobody knows how to get out of there. I don't know how it will end. I hope it will, it will, it will end soon. And, and there, there will I mean, there will never be peace now. It's very hard to have peace in this kind of situation. I absolutely understand the Ukrainian community to to be upset with the Russians. But I also want to say that there's a lot of problem boilings here in Toronto, especially in this area between the Russians and Ukraine. I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm seeing some stuff online. And um, I heard there was a fight in some Russian store, I heard somebody walked into a Russian grocery store and and, and just dropped a bunch of uh, products and spilled ketchup on it. Um, my look is this. I mean, we have to at least keep peace here. Absolutely. You know, it's it's our responsibility, your responsibility, mine as a speaker responsibility. Absolutely. To make sure that at least here we don't lose our humanity and at least here we can give a hand ask if they need help. I called all my friends who are Ukrainian. I, I message everybody who I can, who I know personally. If they need help, I can do, I'll do whatever needs to be done. It's very important. And for some reason, I think, don't know why, but for some reason, a lot of them are scared to voice. You know, a lot of them are scared to say it. And it's very, very unfortunate for me to see this. And, and Actually, uh, you know, last week, when, I mean, when this whole thing started, I have a friend called me up, and he has a bar, and he did a Russian night, and, and somebody called him and said, why are you playing Russian music? And I'm like, well, what else are we going to play? I mean, it's, you know, but it's just, do you see my point, like, where it's going? It's just yeah, very absolutely. unfair for the people like me who are with the Ukrainians yep. and, 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 and support them and, and, and absolutely against the war that is happening there, but we're still being kind of like your Russian. Yeah, look, if you um, if you tune in, if you listen to my remarks, I talked a little bit about this in uh, in the house, and I think that we've we've always got to tip our hats to to those who are brave and those who have the courage to uh, to speak out about something that their country is doing. And we are, you're absolutely right that we've got to keep uh, the humanity. Um, going here, and we've seen this in other conflicts where there's diaspora communities in uh, in in Canada. And um, look, this is this is the best country in the world. I certainly um, think so. And uh, the reason that it, one of the reasons that it's the best country in the world is that we can live side by side with our neighbors uh, when we agree and when we disagree. I just hope that that I mean they're bringing a lot of refugees here. I just hope it's not going to create any problem for the future. 
you know, because you, you know, the, the, the people that are going to be coming here, God bless them. I want them here because it's, it, it's they, they shouldn't be in that war scene. They're going to bring a lot of emotion here, yeah. and, and 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 I just hope there's going to be some sort of a program made by the government to slow down the the emotions and to open their eyes that there's good people living here, For sure. good Russian. Look, we've got um, we've got a history of uh, building this country through immigration, and people have left um, situations, um, you know, akin, and you know, they've they've left war zones, they've left genocides, they've, uh, um, you know, and every every Ukrainian immigration in this country has been more successful than uh, than the last, and we have a we have a huge diaspora here. So I'm looking forward to a government that's going to move a little bit faster. We lost our opportunity um, with those in Afghanistan who helped us. Those who were with by our side for 20 years helping Canadian journalists, and we said no, that this country, you know, this we don't have enough space for you, or we can't get this process fast enough. And there are, you know, there are people burning books, uh, 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 school books, and girls not going to school anymore. Everything that we built in Afghanistan gone in a, in a month. So we have an opportunity here to help people, even with a temporary. Uh, uh, temporary visa, travel visa, stop the travel um, uh, visas so that they can come here, that they can spend time with their families, that they can get refuge from uh, war zone. And then if some of them want to go back, which I assume that many of them will, uh, because it's a, you know, it's a new nascent democracy where uh, there's a Western type lifestyle. Um, I think lots of them are going to want to go back, but we've got to be the, we've got to be a light in uh, in a world of darkness that, uh, that Canada could be. And we've got to offer them a path to permanent residency here and we've got to do it faster so we don't lose the opportunity they rejected recently the visa uh, so they're not doing uh they're not doing um travel um a, a lack sorry they're not dropping the restriction on uh, on travel visas and we've been calling for it and i think they should and they've opened up a couple of different streams but it's uh, it's been difficult some of something that our office has been uh, uh dealing with as you know in our community there is lots of uh lots of people with family still there grandmothers parents that are still there that are trying to find them a way out um, so that's, you know, that's one of the things that a federal MP helps with. Are we ready to accept so many refugees? Like, are we capable of doing so? I We've mean, got, we, so we certainly have housing issues and we certainly have, um, uh, we, we certainly have a cost of living crisis um, happening. But the only way we're going to grow our country is uh, was, was with immigration. And we can step up and be a, a light in, again, a light in the darkness in a, in a war uh, in a war zone for for the Ukrainian people, we have to. That's our job. That's that's how we. You know, we're not from here. This is our country now. Yeah, it is. I mean, I love this country. I just wanted to go to the right direction, and especially I wanted because of the newcomers. I don't want them to see just only that side. Yeah. I want them to see there's actually there's there's two sides. It's like you can't have one king. There all the time. There has to be always a change in order for the person to understand and to balance things around. And what I see right now with the liberals, they're like stuck there. And 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 and. We need a vision for this country. We need a vision. And hopefully, somebody is. Go- Let me ask you a question. There was a lady yeah. there. Her name is Yara Sack, an MP. She said honking, well, on Conway was equivalent to SS. Honk Hitler. I mean. This is, I, I, yeah, I'm not going to use the uh, platform to disparage other MPs, but I think when you do things like that um, and when you put out information, uh, misinformation like that, 
you set the you set the clock back on what real extremism is a um, hundred years. So when we talk about extremist elements that exist in society, and they do, we got to be serious about it. We can't make things up. Um, and that's a dangerous game that uh, that a politician uh, could play. So I'm not going to be in the game of calling anybody who disagrees with me a Nazi uh, or attributing things, uh, you know, to uh, to a convoy that aren't true and aren't there. We got enough problems, and we don't have any powerful deterrence to stop people from actually waving a swastika or making uh, or making gestures in a school or 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 putting swastikas on playgrounds or or uh, community centers buildings we just have politicians that say this is crazy this is this i dismay this i'm very angry about it but we don't actually have the ability to prosecute people to not do it again so we can have politicians who make up things or we can have politicians who are actually going to do something about uh uh, about anti-semitism and i want to be on this side not this side she, from what I understanding, she's Jewish, so that was uh, interesting to me for somebody to say that. But I also noticed right now there's a lot of antisem, antisemitism. So yeah, man, vodka <laughs> in 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 our area a lot, and uh, the news are like this. This never happened before. Why is this so on the rise? It's on the rise. It's been on the uh, and it's been on the rise, and for the exact reason that there is there's nothing stopping anybody from uh, from doing it when there's. There's not a prosecution of, of, of hate crimes. Nobody ever goes to jail for, uh, for drawing a swastika in the sand or putting, a, putting spray paint on a, on a building. We see swastika flags in Palestinian protests all the time. We see Hezbollah flags. In, uh, t- that's a terrorist organization named by this country in marches in, uh, in Montreal. And we see politicians saying that's terrible. But we don't have very many tools for prosecutors to be able to actually throw people away for it or for police to be able to arrest somebody and that actually have teeth and making sure that it doesn't happen again. So who's responsible for that? Well, we got to make better laws. Absolutely. I mean, I still don't understand how the hell in Parliament Hill these guys walked around with the swastikas, nobody, nothing. Yeah, look, How, that's that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable on Parliament Hill. It's unacceptable in the streets of downtown Toronto. It's unacceptable in the parks right here in Thornhill. And it's unacceptable in the streets of Montreal. And if we can agree that it's unacceptable, then let's do something about it. Let me ask you a question. I mean, two years, two years in the pandemic, why did it take so long for, uh, for the Conservative Party to start actually pushing for for the politician to get rid of this mandate why did why did it have to take two years for it to kind of like okay we need to end this like, yeah look i i don't have an answer to that question but i i do uh I, you know i do know that i've been here for for six months so i'm one of the newly elected ones and i think that i've been rather consistent uh you know the entire time again I'm not against the, the, the vaccines and, and everything that we, we had to do at a, at a certain time. What I think doesn't make sense anymore is the time that we're in. Like, how is science different in Europe or in the U.S. than, than it is here? Like, if we are talking about, well, the science says, how is it so different in other parts of the world? All you got to do is get on a plane after being, you know, tested a thousand times, um, that's that's a bit of an exaggeration, but after a, a, a testing regimen that doesn't need to uh, be there, to go to somewhere else and see that people are living their lives. And so we've got to ask ourselves, like, 
why why are we still here? And so, I mean, some of it is a product of time and uh, some of it is a product of having political courage to do the thing that maybe is not the most popular thing. I came back from Mexico. I went for my birthday to Mexico. I came back from Mexico. So in Mexico, I had to do a COVID test. Mm-hmm. Cost $150 US to do a COVID test. I landed here. I had to do another COVID test. Yeah. We've called for the dropping of 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 all t- of all testing. The airlines have caused, caused um, have have called for the dropping. The doctors, the experts, the ones that are giving the government the information, have all called for an end to a testing regime. So my question to the government is: Who are they listening to? If everybody, if you know, if it's public health officials, if it's doctors, if it's the tourism industry, if it's the airline industry, if it's conservative politicians, and everybody says that we're done with testing, and even some of their own voters say that this doesn't make a whole lot of sense anymore, who are they listening to? And they haven't built a better healthcare either. I no, mean, nothing, correct. nothing changed. You know, I had a, I had a. Um, a podcast with Roman Barber and said the same thing like we're still like 20 years ago where you still go to the emergency you still wait 10 hours to get checked in and in two years you're still in the emergency and you're still waiting 10 hours to get in I mean yeah, look, hallway healthcare isn't uh, isn't a term that is that is new. And and while you know, while my level of government doesn't have sort of a direct interaction with uh, with how we fund healthcare, it does come from a funding formula that exists. Now we should increase that funding formula, and there, frankly, should probably be some levers on on how that money is spent. Although there is a bit of a a constitutional division of uh, of powers issue in that we can give all the money, but the province, who is closer to people, decides how uh, how it's spent. So I think, you know, the next election campaign for for the province is around the corner, and I think we have to ask ourselves some hard questions about. You know, we weren't ready for this one. Are we going to be ready for the next one? And we should have probably asked ourselves some questions the first time SARS was here. Yeah, I mean, look, everybody already had COVID. I, already, I think I had COVID like three times already. Do you have it three times? Oh, How well, was it? Uh, the first one You're was okay? a little, the first one was rough. Uh, the second one was uh, the third one was like throat pain. That's it. That's all it was. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah, uh, look, there's some people that are more susceptible, and we've got to protect those people. You know, I got to protect somebody like my father, who's you know edging towards um, 75, who's not uh, exactly healthy, but we could have done things differently by protecting those who are vulnerable and allowing, um, you know, those who, by and large, with this variant, have fared pretty well. Nobody got really, you know, there's not a lot of people who got really sick. Our hospital numbers are down. Our death rate is down. We got to move on. Absolutely. What's, what's, what's next for Melissa? Melissa, where do you want to go? Well, Melissa is uh, I know you went learning. skating today. <laughs> yeah, I did go skating today. We had a great uh, we had a great uh, uh, event. Um, we do we do community events all the time. And part of the problem with COVID is that there isn't a lot of community events going on. So we create our own. So we were uh, we were down at Rosemount uh, Arena, which is not too far from here, and uh, had a good. Uh, had a good skate, and we'll do it again. And we have passport clinics, and I like that stuff. Um, I liked talking to people in the community because it reminds me why I'm there and who sent me there and why they sent me there. 
What's a passport clinic? Oh, we just help people with their passports when they find a Oh, no, no, not the vaccine passports. Oh, yeah. Just the regular, <laughs> just the regular passports. The one that lets you go on the airplane and lets you go to Florida and Mexico and wherever you want to go to get your life back. For a second, like, oh, I'm going to get a lot of no, messages. No, 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 not a, not a, va- thankfully, uh, thankfully those are, those are gone in the province of, uh, of Ontario. But uh, what's next? Uh, you know, I've got a lot to learn. I'm, uh, I'm young in my political career. I'm looking forward to having a conversation about where the Conservative Party goes in, uh, in the next leadership. And uh, who knows? Stay tuned. Oh, I will. I will. I'm following you everywhere. I think the whole community is following you everywhere. Amazing. Melissa, thank you very much for taking the time and coming here. It thank was you. a great pleasure. You're doing a fantastic job. Continue voicing it. Continue scream, screaming uh, and passing the message for us for for to the higher power for sure thank <laughs> you hope. for your support and thank you for uh, for having me and hopefully uh we can we can get some follows out of this and we'll do this again in a not so distant future absolutely thank you very much thanks Yo, G-Man from the G-Show, let's talk about life and what we know. You want to have a seat with the top dog, be ready to get down with the real talk. All jokes aside, welcome to the G-Man Show.